Welcome to Protect Your Money with FSCS, the podcast from the Financial Services Compensation Scheme. I'm Caroline Rainbird, FSCS Chief Executive, and in this series, the fantastic FSCS team will help you understand how we can help to protect your money so you can feel confident your money is safe. Hope you enjoy the podcast. Welcome to episode 17 of the FSCS podcast. I'm Farah Baldock from the communications team here at FSCS and I'll be hosting today's episode instead of our usual host, Jess Spires. Many of our listeners will know that FSCS, the Financial Services Compensation Scheme, protects people when authorised financial firms go bust. We do this by paying eligible customers the compensation they're owed if they've lost money when their financial firms fail. We protect many financial products and activities, but not all of them. And on this podcast series, we aim to demystify FSCS and help you understand how we protect your money. On today's episode, we're talking about recoveries, and we'll be taking a look at some of the work that FSCS does behind the scenes to recover the money we pay in compensation from failed firms or other third parties with a responsibility for customers' claims. We're joined on the podcast today by our recoveries experts from the FSCS legal team. A very warm welcome to James Derbyshire, Chief Counsel here at FSCS, and also Cecile Loosley, our Head of Recoveries. Hi, thanks for having us. Hi, Farah, thanks very much for having us today. We're looking forward to talking a bit more about recoveries. I believe it's the first time on the podcast for both of you, and our regular listeners will know that we always ask our new podcast guests our traditional closing question. So just to pre-warn you, I will be asking this at the end of the episode, so you can have a little bit of a think about your answers in advance. FSCS is all about protecting your money, but which toy would have had you breaking open your piggy bank as a child? So just something to have a little bit of a think about. So let's get started. Some of you may be wondering, what is a recovery and what's it got to do with my money? James, Cecile, could you shed some light on this for us? Sure, yes. I mean, FSCS is primarily known for paying compensation to customers when firms go bust. And certainly if you bring a claim to FSCS, you might think that, well, that's the end of the journey. Certainly for our customers, that's usually true. But for us, actually, it can be the beginning of another long journey in terms of pursuing recoveries, which is one of the other main functions that FSCS performs. So in terms of what a recovery is, it's essentially a legal claim that we pursue to try and recover the costs of compensation that we paid to customers. And we do that normally in a couple of ways. We either pursue claims against the failed firms, or it could be against any other party who had some involvement in whatever was being sold to the customer in the first place. So basically, we're looking at a way of recouping those costs from people who were involved and somehow have a legal liability that we can go after. I mean, I guess in terms of what's the kind of test that we use, it's really a commercial test. So if we think it's cost effective and it's a claim that is reasonably possible, then that's something that we would pursue. Perhaps, Cecile, you could tell us a little bit more about how we pursue a recovery. Yeah, that's right. It is a commercial test. And just to be clear, we don't pursue recoveries to make a point or to punish wrongdoers. We do focus our efforts on where we can get some money back. So when a customer makes a successful compensation claim to FSCS, their rights in relation to that claim is transferred to us. 
And as James said, that relates to the rights against the firm in default or any third parties that might also be liable for the losses suffered by that customer. So this effectively means that FSCS stands in the shoes of the customer. So in the cases of a failed firm, that would make us a creditor of the firm and would allow us to pursue recoveries against the firm in its insolvency, if appropriate. And I should point out as well that we pursue the whole amount of the customer's loss, not just the amount of compensation we've paid. So in some cases, their losses might be capped by our compensation limit that we look to pursue the whole amount. And the reason for that we'll go into in a bit more detail a bit later. But we look at a variety of ways of pursuing recoveries beyond the claim and the insolvency. We might pursue litigation proceedings against third parties that might have caused losses. We'll also look at whether we can make a claim to the firm's professional indemnity insurer. That's a requirement that all regulated firms have in order to be authorised. So where we can, we will make a claim on that insurance policy as well, or through a variety of other dispute resolution processes. And also where we've treated specific investments as having no value in the hands of the customer because the returns on them are so uncertain or possibly so far in the future. And we've treated that as being fully compensatable for the customer. We'll also look whether we can make a recovery on those investments as well. Brilliant. Thanks, Cecile. Actually, I just wanted to pick up on something you mentioned. We pursue those recoveries once a firm has defaulted, it's gone into default. Would either one of you be able to just let us know a little bit more about what we mean by that? What does it mean by a firm going into default? Sure. A firm goes into default. That's really something that we do ourselves. So we declare a firm in default, essentially, if there are two kind of elements needed. One is that the firm has gone bust or is in some other way not able to pay compensation due. But there also has to be at least one protected claim against that firm. And that combination of those two things trigger FSCS protection. And so we will then make a publication of that default. And the way we do that will kind of depend on how widespread or how systemic the issue is affecting that firm. So we might just put something on our website, or if it's a bit broader and we want to target particular areas, we might use local press and things like that. Excellent. And also, you reminded us that FSCS pays customers compensation when those firms fail. But where does the money come from for compensation if the firms themselves that owe the money to customers have actually gone bust? Well, the reason we can pay compensation in the way we do is thanks to an annual levy that we charge to regulated firms, so financial services firms that are regulated either by the FCA or the PRA. And that levy funds both the running of FSCS as an organisation, but also, most importantly, it funds the costs of compensation and enables us to process claims. So essentially, you have a system which is kind of the good paying for the bad in the sense that customers are not left high and dry when a firm that's caused them loss goes bust, but the rest of the industry essentially comes together and shoulders that burden, which otherwise the customer would be left to fund themselves. And that, I guess that's particularly important for a lot of our customers because they're often left very vulnerable. They've been missold, let's say, a pension or some other life-saving. And obviously that can have a very significant impact. It's not something they would have been expecting or anticipating. So the fact that FSCS can step in and to do so quickly is kind of incredibly important. And then we can put those customers back on track. So I guess FSCS really acts as a safety net more generally and reassuring both consumers who've not actually come to us yet or at all 
and certainly those who actually have to come to us as customers, reassuring them, I guess, that their money is safe when they go about buying financial products and services. And in that way, FSCS helps provide financial stability and raises confidence and trust in the financial services industry as a whole. That all makes sense. And where does recoveries fit into all of this? Well, paying compensation to customers is just one part of the picture. So alongside our obligations to customers, we also have a duty to our levy payers, and that is to ensure that the levy is fair and balanced. So reducing the levy in a sustainable way for the industry is a priority for FSCS. And one of the ways in which we do this is through our recoveries work. So I'm really pleased to say that since 2015, FSCS has recovered around £290 million uh, from failed firms and other third parties. And as we're a non-profit organisation, the funds we recover are always put back into running our service and paying compensation to customers. So this is done by way of reducing the levy going forward for the industry. And we know that the majority of financial firms behave responsibly towards customers. And so it's through this recoveries process that we can better hold the bad actors out there in the system uh, to account. Well, that's great for levy payers. And does the money we recover ever make its way back to the customers who were harmed in the first place? Yeah, absolutely. So when we make a successful recovery, we also have an obligation to ensure that the customers know worse off for having come to FSCS first and made a prompt claim for compensation. So that means that where possible, funds that we've secured from recoveries can be used to top up compensation for customers who may have lost more than what we were able to pay them due to the rules around our compensation limits. So we call this process the payment of a distribution of surplus So just last year, for example, we were able to pay out about £3 million to another 170 customers through this distribution of surplus process. And a great example of this is on, I'm not sure I can say the name, but on a particularly dodgy holiday resort development that many customers bought into. One customer in particular had losses of over £315,000 and our compensation limit at the time was £50,000. So he was only able to get £50,000 from us through compensation. But as part of our recovery work, we pursued a breach of trust claim against the trustee of that development and were able to secure a settlement. And for that particular customer, it meant we could pay him an additional nearly £73,000 of distribution from our recovery work. So that's great news for this customer who wasn't expecting this money. And not that we do it for thanks, but we received an absolutely lovely email from him telling us just how much this meant to him and what a surprise it was and thanking us for all our hard work on this. So that always makes our day when we get messages like that from customers. Brilliant. That's really great to hear. Also, just picking up on an earlier point about how we want to put customers back on track and also the fact that, you know, we are paying out that compensation to customers directly. Why is it that FSCS pursues these recoveries instead of customers? Why don't the customers go direct to the organisations or other third parties that might have a responsibility to their claim? Well, I guess the, the main thing is that pursuing recoveries can be very complex. We're often now having to pursue recoveries in many different jurisdictions, so not even just the UK. And you wouldn't necessarily think that when you're talking about FSCS and as the UK's compensation scheme, but we are pursuing recoveries all over the world now, normally connected to various weird and wonderful investments that people have been badly advised to invest in, often through their pensions. And also pursuing recoveries can just take 
years. We at FSES also can bring recoveries together. So we have a kind of you know ability to bring a much bigger claim against institutions rather than customers having to do it individually. And obviously, customers don't have the same financial resources or technical know-how and experience that we do. And the whole point of FSES is really to encourage customers to be able to use a free service and go to FSES and claim compensation first, and then, as it were, hand it over to FSES to do the recovery work. Absolutely. And if they claim with us directly, like you say, it's completely free for them. Yes. So customers can come and bring a claim directly through our website. And as Cecile was mentioning, when customers do bring their claim for compensation to FSES, part of the deal of getting compensation from us is that they agree to transfer their legal rights to FSES once compensation is paid. And then that allows FSES to then pursue a recovery claim against whichever parties we think are potentially responsible for those losses. And if the total value of compensation is very high and we've assessed that pursuing a recovery is reasonably possible and cost-effective, then we will go ahead and pursue those recoveries instead of the customers. Right. So it's interesting to hear how recoveries actually helps to reduce the levy and also supports customers who may have lost more money than FSES was able to pay them in compensation. But could you also tell us any more about why recoveries can be so complex? I know, Cecile, you sort of started talking about a couple of examples there. Was there any more that you could say about that? Yeah, sure. I mean, as we said before, when we pursue a recovery action, when we decide to pursue a recovery action, we'll assess the likelihood of success and whether it's cost effective. So if we'll get back more than what we're likely to spend in doing that. So often a lot of work has to be done up front to make that decision. So there'll be some cases where, you know, after investigation, we decide we can't pursue those recoveries. And this is written to our compensation rules um, as set out by the FCA and the PRA. Part of the reason we can't pursue them all is because of the complexity. I and mean, it does take up quite a lot of resource. And as James mentioned, it could take many, many years as well. But within the FSES, our recoveries team work closely with the operations team and our finance team to gather data and the evidence needed to support this recovery work. And we'll also collaborate with other agencies such as the FCA, the Serious Fraud Office, the Insolvency Service, and naturally we'll also work closely with the relevant insolvency practitioners such as liquidators or administrators who have been appointed to the firms in default or the underlying assets that customers have bought into. Again, as James mentioned, we're often having to liaise with agencies in international jurisdictions. And in these cases, the regulations and often the legislation will be different to that of the UK. So there's sometimes a bit of a learning curve for the team as well to get to grips with all of those. Do you have any examples that you could share with us? In terms of examples, we have pursued a number of high-profile, high-value and very complex recoveries actions, and these relate to just a range of investments, such as these holiday resorts. We've got some farmland in Australia, various forestry projects. And I was thinking actually a good example of a a really complex and long-running recovery action is the Harlequin matter. I wondered if James might be able to uh, tell us a bit about that one, considering how many years he's been working on that one. Yep, no, certainly. Yeah, it's been going on for ooh, since about 2014 now. So this was a scenario where I guess customers were investing often their pensions, certainly large sums of money and sometimes their life savings through 
independent financial advisors or through SIP operators into an investment where they thought, at least anyway, they were investing in holiday properties across the Caribbean, various different locations across the Caribbean. And certainly FSES has declared a lot of firms in default as a result of the bad advice that happened there. So I think since 2014, we've probably declared about 110 firms that are connected to Harlequin. But basically, Harlequin was the brainchild of a guy called David Ames. And really, it turned out that this was just a giant Ponzi scheme. And Mr. Ames was subsequently prosecuted and convicted by the serious fraud office. And in fact, he was sentenced to 12 years in prison as a result of his role in this. And in terms of the kind of ongoing recovery of work that we've been doing, I mean, part and parcel actually of that work has been to share what we found out. So our data and insights with the SFO, so it allowed them to help them in their prosecution of David Ames. But we've also been pursuing recoveries through the insolvencies of the various holiday developments across the Caribbean. So we've been learning a lot about Caribbean insolvency processes over the last few years. But that's an ongoing process. We paid out, I think, in relation to Harlequin, about 3,000 customers and we paid out over £150 million. So it's clearly made a big impact on those customers in trying to help them back on track. But the recoveries work is obviously looking now to help the position from the levy payer side of the equation. And so that's something we're going to be pursuing actively for a while. Yes, I suspect. Are there any other examples, Cecile, that you thought would be uh, good ones? Yeah, yeah, thanks. Another great example, which you may have read about recently or over the last year or so in the press, is the German Property Group, which is also known as the Dolphin Investment. And this was an investment scheme through several vehicles which were focused on redeveloping derelict properties in Germany and then on sold for a profit, which would generate the returns supposedly to investors. Unfortunately, this also turned out to be a massive Ponzi scheme. The German public prosecutor is investigating the actions of the various companies and their directors as well. You know, investors from the UK alone are thought to have lost in excess of two hundred million pounds. So this is a really significant failure for many, many people. And so from October 22, we'd compensated customers who had invested upwards of £61 million in the Dolphin Investments. And we're working really closely with the IP in Germany. There's also a UK company that issued bonds that then passed on monies into the German companies. So we've put in claims in those estates as well. And we're working really hard with the various insolvency practitioners to get some money back for all these poor investors, poor customers, really. Another one, James, I thought was really good, really interesting, although it's been a few years, was the key data litigation as well. And I thought that was a good example where we've done something a bit unusual, a bit not so straightforward. So key data itself was essentially an investment product. But what was unusual is it was regulated. So it was declared as a firm in default, essentially. But where we pursued the recovery was in relation to hundreds of IFAs that recommended the key data product. So these were all live IFAs that were still trading. And we brought in a group action on behalf of all the customers in key data that we paid and pursued their various IFAs through the courts. 
So what was it, 800 IFAs we started proceedings against? Yes, I think that's right. And it was a very big and complicated piece of litigation. So what we did was also made use of our panel law firms to help us, which we do in recovery sometimes for some of these more complicated ones. And so one of our panel law firms at the time, Herbert Smith, were engaged to help us pursue that recovery. And actually, it resulted in us getting in recoveries of just over £50 million. So it was very successful. You mentioned, Cecile, that it was a group action that you pursued in relation to key data. Could you just explain a little bit what is a group action? Oh, sure. What that means was we had those 800 IFAs listed as defendants in the one claim rather than bringing 800 separate claims. So it meant that we could collate all the claims, all the investors, a lot of them, the underlying issues, the basis of the claim and negligence were the same. So we could group it that way and conduct the litigation in a much more cost-effective way. Right, I see. Well, it does sound like it must have been quite a lot of work going on in the background to try and pull all of that together and bringing all of the different parties together in order to pursue that. Were there any other examples or things like that that you might want to highlight? One other good example, actually, of the kind of importance of the recoveries work was the recovery we did in relation to the financial crisis going back in 2008. So obviously those were very extraordinary times. And in fact, FSCS, not long after the collapse of Lehman Brothers in September 2008, other banks with retail customers started to fail and we were triggered. And in fact, over the period, over about, I think, three or four months, we paid out nearly £21 billion in compensation, which was obviously pretty extraordinary. It meant we had to borrow that money from the government to be able to pay that money out and obviously put those customers back on track at a very volatile time. But it also then started the process of pursuing recovery. So a lot of these recoveries were essentially claims in the insolvencies of these banks, which were largely UK banks, but sometimes they were UK subsidiaries of Icelandic banks. You may remember there was an internet bank called iSave, which was one of the banks that failed, which was the UK version of Landsbanking, which was an Icelandic bank. And we developed a claims process that used the iSave website to be able to pay money back through people's login details for iSave. Anyway, in terms of recoveries, we pursued claims in the insolvencies of these banks. And in fact, the final dividend came through on one of those insolvencies in 2020. So over a decade later, and we'd recovered just over £20 billion in recoveries. So the difference actually ultimately being the interest that was paid on the loan that we'd got from the government in the first place. So it was a very successful recovery and obviously a very important one for our levy payers. Absolutely. And wow, a decade long recovery process. That's quite impressive. And I can see how it really kind of shows how complex these actions can be. And it sounds like there's a lot of work going on behind the scenes of a failure uh, to recover some of those compensations costs. And it may be that we'll have to revisit some of these again in future episodes. But before we wrap up, James, Cecile, are there any other final messages you'd like to share with our listeners about FSCS's recoveries work? Yeah, I mean, as we've talked about over the last sort of few minutes, pursuing recoveries can be very complex and take many years to complete. So while there is a possibility that recoveries can support customers through the distribution of surplus process, you know, it's important to remember that due to the nature of the work, it won't always be the outcome for all customers who may have lost more than we're able to pay in compensation. 
But it's important that customers understand if and how their money is protected. So we've got lots of resources on the FSCS website that can help them to understand what we do, what's protected, and lots of tools they can use to check the status of their position. Yes, that's right. And just a reminder to our listeners that you can find those tools on our website at fscs.org.uk forward slash check. So I think that's about all we have time for today. I'd just like to thank James and Cecile for joining us today. I know it's your first time on the podcast and it's brilliant to have you on the show and to hear about what is perhaps a less well-known area of our work. So thank you very much for joining us today. And just going back to our traditional closing question, FSCS is all about protecting your money, but which toy would have had you breaking open your piggy bank as a child? I hope you've both got some good answers for us on that one. James, how about you? Which toy would have had you breaking open your piggy bank as a child? Well, I'm in danger of showing my age, I think, by telling you what my toy is. But uh, I think the toy I'd go for is Subutier, if either of you remember that, which was the table football kind of game which I think came out in something like the 60s or something like that. But it was kind of like you have little kind of miniature people that you flick towards the ball to kind of recreate a football match. You normally manage to break most of the um, players pretty quickly. So most of my teams were down to about four or five people very early on in their life. But it was good fun. Yes, I do remember those. Yeah, kind of early version of your table football without the bits on the side to move your pieces around. And how about yourself, Cecile? Well, I probably wouldn't have broken my piggy bank. I would have just, you know, pinched money from my brother's piggy bank. But if I did have to break mine, there was a doll that I absolutely loved called a hugger bunch. I'm not sure if you guys had them in the UK. I grew up in Australia, but they're just a little girl's doll, sort of nice round face with a little button nose and curly hair. And um, they all had different names and you'd get an adoption certificate in the box and I would have gone for one of those, I think. I don't think I've heard of a hugger bunch, but that sounds great. And with official documentation as well. (laughs) You could probably find them on eBay now at a much inflated price. (laughs) (laughs) Probably, yes. Okay, well, thank you very much. And I hope you've all enjoyed listening to our episode today. Thank you very much to our listeners for tuning in. And you'll find all of our podcasts on the FSCS website at fscs.org.uk, as well as all the usual places you would find your podcasts, etc. So, yeah, if you wanted to listen to any of our other podcasts and find out a bit more about FSCS and how we protect your money, do tune in to some of the other episodes. Yeah.